As you may have seen yesterday, Harvey Weinstein, the longtime Hollywood movie producer, was finally convicted after what appears to be a lifetime of sexually abusing and assaulting and victimizing women. He was finally convicted of multiple sex crimes. I'm going to talk a little bit about that case, but I'm particularly going to hone in on the response that I saw afterwards, which concerns me in great part because two wrongs don't make a right. But as somebody who wants to see the justice system or the legal system radically change from the inside out, I saw some people cheering for some things on social media yesterday that I understand, I get it, but let me push back a little bit, all right? This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. I loathe Harvey Weinstein, not just in some generic way. The man was violent and abusive to people that I've come to know over these past few years. He literally encouraged Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign to target and harass my dear friend, the late Erica Garner, as she became an effective campaigner for Bernie. I saw the emails to the campaign And I talked with Erica about that, and it terrified her to see this man, a man in power. She was struggling at that point in her life, just an everyday person fighting for justice for her father. And to see that Harvey Weinstein knew her and was throwing her under the bus in emails to the campaign concerned her. But as of yesterday, Harvey Weinstein is now a convicted sex offender. Now, I am nothing but glad that he's being held accountable for his abuses, period. End of story, dot com, no ifs, ands, or buts. Soon after the world realized that he was being sent to Rikers, which is the primary jail for all of New York City, as soon as people learned that he was being sent there, just as all convicted men in New York City are, The conversation went somewhere that I just can't support. And I understand it, so let me just say that up front. I understand the conversation, and I understand that revenge in some ways is primal. And Harvey Weinstein has used his white privilege, his wealth, his power. He's used those things to assault women and to ruin people's lives and careers for decades. And the man was able to do it over and over and over again because powerful people had no intention of ever holding him accountable. And so when the news got out that Harvey Weinstein was on his way to Rikers, I saw people saying all over social media things that I simply refused to say. And I'll explain why in a second, but people began saying they hoped Harvey Weinstein would be put in solitary confinement. They hoped he'd be beat down. They hoped the guards would turn the other way. I saw people say they hoped Harvey Weinstein would be raped, get a taste of his own medicine. And for a moment, as the online mob against him grew, the word Rikers 
was literally the top trending topic in the world. And it was mainly just because people were celebrating that somebody like Harvey Weinstein was finally going to experience the hell that black and brown New Yorkers have experienced since long before I was born. And again, let me say, I get the anger. The man did horrible, criminal things. But let me explain why I can't join in on some of the remarks that people are saying. Last year, after generations of just chewing people up and spitting them out, the city of New York finally voted to officially close down Rikers Island Correctional Facility. Now, it's going to take years for it to fully shut down, but the place is a hellhole. Year in and year out, tens of thousands of New Yorkers, primarily black and brown New Yorkers, primarily poor New Yorkers, they are taken there, but nobody who emerges from Rikers is ever the same. And it's literally a one in a million chance that somebody like Harvey Weinstein ever has to suffer there because the people that get beaten and battered and raped and stabbed and slashed there at Rikers, they're not rich white executives. In fact, before Harvey Weinstein could even get to Rikers, before they ever took him there, they actually diverted the car and took him to a hospital instead. And so as I record this, at this moment at least, he's not even actually at Rikers. But I can tell you who is. Thousands of poor black and brown young people. People suffering through mental illness and drug addiction, but are getting the most brutal form of incarceration instead of any type of treatment. So I can't cheer Harvey going to Rikers because I know it's almost never him or men like him and the systems and structures that people want to chew Harvey Weinstein up. Those systems and structures, they rarely chew men like that up. They'll rarely do that. Instead, it's going to be happening to the most marginalized men among us. Let me close with this thought, and we have a great new ad from one of our sponsors that I can't wait to share with you. The same reason that I can't cheer on Harvey Weinstein going to Rikers. Listen, again, I'm glad that he was convicted, but I can't cheer anything about Rikers. And, and the same reason exists for why I don't cheer when white supremacists get the death penalty. Listen, in full transparency, something awful in me sometimes wants those men to die. I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but I admit it. I don't like feeling that way, but I don't have a soft spot in my heart for Dylan Roof. But again, here's what I know. It's that it's not normally white supremacists that are being executed in this country. That's not who's going to the electric chamber. That's not who's going to the electric chair, rather, or the gas chamber. Instead, it's black men. It's poor black men, to be more specific. They 
are the single most likely group of Americans to be executed. So when I cheer on the execution for a man that's really the exception to the rule and not the rule, I'm basically cheering it on for everybody else as well. I can't cheer Rikers. I can't cheer the death penalty. And part of being a modern-day abolitionist is having actual principles that are centered on the fact that the whole damn system of mass incarceration needs to be torn down. It does. That doesn't mean there's not a way for Harvey Weinstein to get justice, but you won't hear me cheering on Rikers. Never that. As I tell you all the time, we only advertise products here on The Breakdown that we actually use and love. And my family loves HelloFresh. We just had a box about two weeks ago that we loved. And if you have never had a HelloFresh box sent to your house, you can get mouth-watering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with HelloFresh It's actually America's number one meal kit, and the food is actually good. We love the meals that we have through HelloFresh. It's so helpful because the vegetables are already cut. The spices are already measured. The ingredients are all there. It's super delicious. It saves so much time, so much energy, and it's actually sustainable as well because you're only using the amount of food that you actually need. And we have a great deal for you today. We have 10 free meals for anybody who goes now to HelloFresh.com slash Breakdown 10. That's HelloFresh.com slash Breakdown and the number one zero. And when you get to checkout, use that code Breakdown 10 and you will get 10 free meals including free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com, Breakdown 10. Use the code Breakdown 10 at checkout and get your 10 free meals. You're going to love it. The Break. The the Break. The the, the, the Breakdown. Yesterday was also the beautiful, painful, inspirational, powerful memorial service for Kobe and his daughter, Gianna Bryant. I got a chance to watch most of it. And one of the parts that moved me the most was about a 10 minute reflection from the man that I consider to be maybe the best athlete of all time. Certainly, I think the number one basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, who is uh, short on words and short on public appearances. And not only were his remarks super transparent. He said some things about his relationship with Kobe Bryant that we had never heard before. Uh, You're not going to be able to see it, but I'm going to play you the whole 10-minute segment of his remarks. But he's crying, and he's crying during most of it. And it's a profound moment for me, not just because it's Michael Jordan crying, but throughout this past month, and yesterday was actually almost one month to the day uh, since Kobe and Gianna and their friends were killed in that horrible helicopter crash. But 
it's one of the few times I've ever seen black men so openly, willingly express emotion and tears and sadness and pain. It's been the most healthy public expression of black male grief that I've ever seen. And I just want to play this clip for you. I hope you love it. It's uh, it's not all emotional. Uh, the most hilarious moment of them all is when Michael Jordan realizes, uh, if you haven't seen it, there is a meme of Jordan crying at his Hall of Fame induction, I believe. And uh, it's just the Jordan crying meme that gets <laughs> gets posted all of the time. And uh, he realizes that he's crying and has probably created another meme for himself. But um, I just wanted to close out today's episode with his full remarks. Um, I, I do want to say something to you right before we play those remarks. It's something you'll probably hear me say a million times. Never let the people you love guess how you feel about them. Show them. Tell them. Make them know. Make it obvious, all right? I've got to run. Got a very busy, busy week. We are actually recording the audio version of my new book, Make Change. I'm literally going to the Audible headquarters to record it. So wish me luck. I'll let you know how it's going. Love you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Now take care. Break it down. I would say good morning, but it's afternoon. I'm grateful to Vanessa and the Bryan family for the opportunity to speak today. I'm grateful to be here to honor Gigi and celebrate the gift that Kobe gave us all. What he accomplished as a basketball player, as a businessman and a storyteller, and as a father. In the game of basketball, in life, as a parent, Kobe left nothing in the tank. He left it all on the floor. Maybe it surprised people that Kobe and I were very close friends. But we were very close friends. Kobe's was my dear friend. He was like a little brother. Everyone always wanted to talk about the comparisons between he and I. I just wanted to talk about Kobe. You know, all of us have brothers and sisters, little brothers, little sisters who for whatever reason, I always tend to get in your stuff, (laughs) your closet, your shoes, everything. It was a nuisance, if I can say that word. But that nuisance turned into love over a period of time, just because the admiration that they had for you as big brothers or big sisters, the questions, They're wanting to know every little detail about life that they were about to embark on. He used to call me, text me, 11.30, 2.30, 
3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Talking about post-up moves, footwork, and sometimes the triangle. <laughs> At first, it was an aggravation. But it, then it turned into a certain passion. This kid had passion like you would never know. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing about passion. If you love something, if you have a strong passion for something, you would go to the extreme to, to try to understand or try to get it. Either ice cream, Cokes, hamburgers, whatever you have a love for. If you have to walk, you will go get it. If you have to beg someone, you will go get it. What Kobe Bryant was to me was the inspiration that someone truly cared about the way I either I played the game or the way that he wanted to play the game. He wanted to be the best basketball player that he could be. And as I got to know him, I wanted to be the best big brother that I could be. <laughs> to do that, you have to put up with the aggravation, the late night calls, or the dumb questions. I took great pride as I got to know Kobe Bryant that he was just trying to be a better person, a better basketball player. We talked about business. We talked about family. We talked about everything. And he was just trying to be a better person. Now he's got me, I'll have to look at another crime meme for the next. <laughs> I told my wife I wasn't gonna do this because I didn't want to see that for the next three or four years. That is what Kobe Bryant does to me. I'm pretty sure Vanessa and his friends all can say the same thing. He knows how to get to you in a way that affects you personally, even though if he's being a pain in the ass. But it sh he always, you ever have a sense of love for him and the way that he can bring out the best in you. And he did that for me. I remember maybe a couple of months ago, he sends me a text and he's saying, I'm trying to teach my daughter some moves. And I don't know what I was thinking or what I was working on, but what, would you, what were you thinking about when you were trying to, as you were growing up, trying to work on your moves? I said, what age? He says, 12. I said, 12, I was trying to play baseball. 
He sends me a text back saying, laughing my ass off. And this is at 2 o'clock in the morning. But the thing about him was we could talk about anything that related to basketball, but we can talk about anything that related to life. And we, as we grow up in life, rarely have friends that we can have conversations like that. Well, it's even rare when you can grow up against adversaries and have conversations like that. I went and saw Phil Jackson in 1999 or maybe 2000. I don't know when Phil was here in L.A. And I walk in and Kobe's sitting there. And the first thing, I'm in a suit. First thing Kobe said, did you bring your shoes? <laughs> no, I wasn't thinking about playing. <laughs> but his attitude to compete and play against someone he felt like he could enhance and improve his game with. To me, that's what I loved about the kid. Absolutely loved about the kid. No matter where he saw me, it was a challenge. And I admired him because his passion, you rarely see someone who's looking and trying to improve each and every day, not just in sports, but as a parent, as a husband. I am inspired by what he's done and what he shared with Vanessa and what he's shared with his kids. I have a daughter who's 30 who just um, became a grandparent. And I have two twins. I have twins at six. I can't wait to get home to become a girl dad and to hug them and to see the love that they, and the smiles that they bring to us as parents. He taught me that just by looking at this tonight, looking at how he responded and reacted with the people they actually loved. These are the things that we will continue to learn from Kobe Bryant. To Vanessa, Natalia, Bianca, Capri, my wife and I will keep you close in our hearts and our prayers. We will always be here for you. Always. I also want to offer our condolences and support to all the families affected by this enormous tragedy. Kobe gave every last ounce of himself to whatever he was doing. After basketball, he showed a creative side to himself that I didn't think any of us knew he had. In retirement, he seemed so happy. He found new passions, and he continued to give back as a coach in his community. More importantly, he was an amazing dad, amazing husband, who dedicated himself to his family and who loved his daughters with all his heart. Break it down.